11 o'clock. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, everybody. Welcome to Position of Neutrality. Welcome to New Freedom. We open every meeting of Position of Neutrality with a prayer, and Wayne has agreed to do that for us tonight. Everybody stand on your feet, please. All right, Heavenly Father, we invite you in tonight. Speak to the hearts and the minds of these, your people, Lord. We're doing push-ups. It's the fitness steps. Empower us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Is anyone in this group for the first time tonight? Yeah. Oh, good. First, very good. So first of all, welcome. Second, let us warn you in advance, you're liable to experience us just a little different than other meetings of other fellowships you may have attended. And the primary reason that's liable to happen is we intend for you to have a different experience here. What we do is we take a look at the instructions for a step or so a week directly out of this book, and we use this book in 12-step recovery walk. Yeah, the process described by the authors of this book has been proven to work for addicts of the hopeless variety, addicts to alcohol and other substances, yeah? So what we attempt to do, what I try and do is show you how I find my experience in the book and encourage you to have your experience with the book. And if we both do our job, we share a spiritual experience in the room every time we meet. How many of you have been here before and can witness that happens, yeah? So those of you are joining us online, they raise their hand. We can't show you that because of the anonymous nature of our fellowships. However, what we're trying to convey to you is that when we speak of a spiritual experience in 12-step recovery, we're talking about a sensory experience. You will feel it. And when you do, I'll know and I'll call it to your attention because we would cheat you to talk to you about the power we call God power. Without, power. without giving you a demonstration of the power. The other thing we do, we're a little quirky here, um, because we don't want anyone confused by their prejudice. When I say God, you say, because what we're talking about is not a theology, but a sensory power, peace, happiness, sense of direction from within. Does it make sense? So we want to call your attention to that and not some bad experience you may have had in the past. And then it'll make more sense why you would want to improve consciousness of that power on your life, right? The awareness of being aware so that you can walk in power. Yes? All right. So, I think that's all I have. Anybody not know, anyone that came from outside not know who our population is? Most of our people have had some experience with incarceration. Yes? And it, that's right. You are the redeemed. Absolutely right. So we welcome you into this home. This is our home. This is their home. It was prepared for them in advance. It's the first of its kind anywhere in the country. And we are unapologetic about the transformations that happen here. And we, we welcome everybody to come on in and, and be a witness. Um, tonight we're going to take a look at steps eight and nine. Wayne gave you a little bit of a hint that this is, the, this is the freedom step. This is the purpose step. So a lot of times we fear the idea of the approaches and the amends, but that's really what we want. If we, if we really want to get free of the bondage itself, if I want to get free of those past self-destructive cycles, I'm going to have to empower the spirit 
to override my mind when my mind sometimes wants to take me somewhere it ought not go. Any of you ever had your mind take you somewhere where you vaguely sensed you ought not go? Okay. So, so it says, and page 76, now we need more action without which we find that faith without works is dead. They use that passage a few times in this text. Does anyone recognize it from another text? So they're not trying to school you necessarily in Christian teaching, but that is from the book of James in the New Testament. And what they're saying is that for alcoholics, if I don't put into practice these principles I claim to believe, I will never grow in this consciousness, proving this power to me, through me. Does it make sense? Because we're talking tangible power. We're talking about real transformations we walk into. And we're not talking theologies. Yes? Okay. So then it says, let's, let's look at steps eight and nine. We have a list of all persons we have harmed and to whom we are willing to make amends. Did any of you ever come up with such a list? Yep. Where did you get it? Sean said he got it in his fourth step. Anyone else get it in the same place? The reason I call that to your attention is rarely have we seen a person fail who's thoroughly followed our path. So if you got your eighth step list from your fourth step inventory, then the author said we made it when we took inventory. So far, so good, right? Okay, so we subjected ourselves to a drastic self-appraisal. How many of you having done the list, the inventory, all these things considered that process a bit drastic. How many of you contemplating it thought, ooh, that looks a bit drastic? So then it says, now we go out to our fellows and repair the damage done in the past. When? If I've made a list, then now's the time to go out and start repairing the damage done in the past. Yes? Then it says, we attempt to sweep away the debris which is accumulated out of our effort to live on self-will and run the show ourselves. If we haven't the will to do this, we ask until it comes. All humans sometimes have to confront obstacles that challenge the ego, and so we are going to lack willingness to do so, and they're saying what they found is willingness is divine power. If you lack the willingness to do it, ask until it comes. Right. You're learning to grow in prayer for tangible power. When you find yourself willing to do that which you are unwilling to do, you'll know prayer works. Does that make sense? Remember it was agreed at the beginning we would go to any lengths for victory over alcohol. With whom did we make that agreement? Yeah, with that power found within. That power is so far moving me in the right direct trajectory. I'm willing to consider things I hadn't presently been, up until that time, been ready to confront. Maybe I'm radically different already. That's experience for many of us. So I made that agreement with this power I may not fully know. None of us can fully define or comprehend that power which is God. But I am experiencing the effects on my life, am I not? All of us have experienced the effects of a creator within, and we've, that's why we had a step two experience, right? 
Okay? So probably there are still some misgivings. Anybody ever experienced some misgivings? As we look over the list of business acquaintances and friends we have hurt, we may feel diffident about going to some of them on a spiritual basis. You know what they're talking about? How many of you had some rather nefarious business acquaintances? And they may not be too enamored with my new spiritual search. Especially if part of my spiritual search was taking their fucking stereo. <laughs> or whatever. Okay. okay. So it says, let us be reassured to some people we need not and probably should not emphasize the spiritual feature on our first approach. So the authors are giving us a clue to something there, aren't they? Right. There's going to be more than one approach. So it's a better idea to let them observe the changes in me than to go declare the changes in me because that's something that's better discovered by others because we tend to kind of watch how actions and words align don't we and sometimes we get stuck in our thoughts about who they have been and we don't see different for a while huh okay so it says we might prejudice them at the moment we're trying to put our lives in order, but this is not an end in itself. Our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. So most of us understand what it feels like to live a life lacking purpose. Yes, any of you ever just got to the what's the use? Someone told you, if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to end up dead. Yeah. You're saying, okay, tell me when. Yeah. Tell me something I don't know. That's a life-lacking purpose. That's the tangible experience of a life-lacking purpose. How many of you found, so many of you guys, in order to get here, had to tell us about what you were doing for others on the prison yard? True? How many of you found purpose in doing those things for people? How many of you have found freedom while everyone else thought you were locked up and you got free in there and started planning for a life beyond? Okay, so that we're, we're relating to what they're talking about, right? Okay, so then it says, it's seldom wise to approach an individual who still smarts from our injustice to him and announce we've gone religious for the very reasons we just talked about. It's better that they see that in me and ask me about it so I can honor my third step than me go declaring it. Because right. yep. it may or may not be true, and it damn sure isn't probably true to them until they've seen it for themselves. Right. In the prize ring, this would be called leading with the chin. Why lay ourselves open to being branded fanatics or religious bores? Question mark. In this book, when they put question marks, it's time to go inward. Eyesight without insight, spiritual blindness. I'm always putting myself in a position, how would I like to be approached if the role, roles were reversed? Am I thinking this way? I don't want you to think I'm some kind of religion. I don't want you to think I'm something other than this. I want you to still think whatever of me, yes? Any of you try and keep your persona up when it didn't serve you? So again, we're, we're going through a process of subordinating the ego to the spirit, and sometimes our persona 
is they're holding it, and sometimes our persona is us projecting it. We're going to have to know the difference, right? Okay, so we may kill a future opportunity to carry a beneficial message. How does one carry a beneficial message? Think about your own life history. Do you not believe more what you see and observe with your eyes than just what someone professes? And do you not check them against each other? That's, that's a human thing. And in our group, we're particularly adept at it, right? Okay. So, but our man is sure to be impressed with a sincere desire to set right the wrong. He's going to be more interested in the demonstration of goodwill than in our talk of spiritual discoveries. We don't use this as an excuse for shying away from the subject of God. When it'll serve any good purpose, we're willing to announce our convictions with tact and common sense. How will I know if it'll serve a good purpose? By this time, I'll know. Even though I'm uncomfortable declaring it, I'll just no, it's time to tell the truth. Because right? the truth is, I did what I did, whether they chained me up, locked me down, had me in a coma, that's what I did as soon as I got up again. And then one day I didn't. So I don't have any idea how that occurred, but I can tell you that I have been introduced to power, peace, happiness, sense of direction, I have been introduced to this transformative power, and I do know that that power did it. So I can honestly honor my third step, his love, his power, his way of life. Does that make sense? Okay, the question of how to approach the man we hated will arise. How many of you have been a little spooked by going to the one you hate? How many of you don't like the word hate? It means strongly dislike. <laughs> it may be he's done us more harm than we've done him, and though we may have acquired a better attitude toward him, we're not, still not too keen about admitting our faults. So that's the one that I know that I've done harm, but I'm pretty sure that he harmed me worse. And I'm pretty sure when I go to him and admit my part, I'm going to be humiliated. Any of you ever had that fear? When I acted out of character toward them, regardless of what they did, I humiliated me. So I got to go pick that up. If I want to get free, I got to own mine. Does that make sense? Nevertheless, with a person we dislike, we take the bit in our teeth. What are they suggesting? Yeah, it's going to be hard, and if you're going to... Go against the grain, you're going to have to get a hold of the bit. When the animal gets the bit in their teeth, you're going where they want to go. You're no longer going to rein them if they've got her bit, the bit bit down. So it's harder to go to an enemy than to a friend. They're acknowledging what would seem to be an obvious truth. But how many of you don't give yourself permission? I've heard people in the room say, go to the hardest one first. That's not what they said. That's not what they said at all. But we, that tough guy in us wants to say that. But that's not what any of us do. We go to the wife, to the family, to the employer. We build up the spirit in us as we subordinate the ego. And then when we finally get to the hardest one, we realize we got massive benefit from it because I was tethered to an event that I could not break free of. 
but we find it much more beneficial to us. We go to him in a helpful and forgiving spirit, confessing our former ill feeling and expressing our regret. So there's instruction in there, be careful. In order to go to someone in a helpful and forgiving spirit that I think I hate, I will need preparation. So what will I have to do? Consult the spirit. What will you have me be, right? I'm a being, not a doing. This isn't about doing. This is about being quiet, being open, being calm, being frank, yeah? Okay, all right. Under no condition do we criticize such a person or argue. Simply we tell them that we'll never get over drinking until we've done our utmost to straighten out the path. Guys, if you try and tell somebody that and you don't mean it, they'll know. This is a spiritual message. I will never get out of bondage until I've done my utmost to set right my wrongs to you because I have similarly kept you in bondage and I have no right to freedom until I've offered you the one I took from you. Does it make sense? So we're there to sweep off our side of the street realizing that nothing worthwhile can be accomplished until we do so, never trying to tell him what he should do, his faults are not discussed, we stick to our own. Do you notice how many times they said the same thing differently? Do you imagine that's because it was hard and they screwed it up that many times? So give yourself permission to not do things perfectly and start deepening your walk in the spirit because you will screw it up. Yes? That doesn't mean stop. You're thoroughly following their path. And then there's some promises when we finally get that ego in check. If our manner is calm, frank, and open, we'll be gratified with the result. Folks, if you're waiting for the time where you're going to be calm in spirit, it's not going to come when you're in that tense spot. What it said is if our manner is calm, frank, and open. I'm going to appear calm even though I got stuff running down both legs. <laughs> but that's how I know there's a power greater than me working through me because I do it anyway. How many of you have been kinder than you felt like being? And you still had your thoughts, but you were calmer. They didn't know your thoughts. What is that but a power greater than you operating through you? Tangible power, yes? Okay. All right. So in nine cases out of ten, the unexpected happens. Any gamblers here? You guys like 90% chance? So sometimes it goes all bad. Sometimes it's 10%. That simply means that the creator has a higher purpose for you wherever it is you're going. But 90% of the time, you've made up much worse calamities than actually turn out. Does it make sense? All right, so, so sometimes the man we're calling upon admits his own fault, so feuds of years standing melt away in an hour. Rarely do we fail to make satisfactory progress. There's been some debate over the years, at least at AA rooms, about what the word rarely means. Rarely means it doesn't happen very often. That's what it means. But if they're telling you it never happens, they're lying to you. 
Sometimes the absolute worst thing that you can possibly imagine is what you're going through. But it doesn't mean you're not coming out of it better than you went in. Got a lot of people that are sitting in here tonight after doing life sentences, and every time I look at them, I know when they went in, they didn't feel the same way about their life experiences they do now. Rarely do we fail to make satisfactory progress. Our former enemies sometimes praise what we're doing and wish us well. Occasionally, they'll offer assistance. It should not matter, however, if someone does throw us out of his office. We've made our demonstration, done our part. It's water over the dam. So it's important that I subordinate my ego and go make the approach. It's not important that I get the result I want. That doesn't really matter, because the result I really want is freedom from the bondage of self. But I'm, I'm trapped by my thoughts of how people perceive me. And until I lose my thoughts of how you perceive me, you're never going to get an opportunity to know the real me. And then I'll never know anything about how the world receives me. Does that make sense? Okay, so most alcoholics owe money. We do not dodge our creditors. Telling them what we're trying to do, we make no bones about our drinking. They usually know it anyway, whether we think so or not. How many of you discovered that about your addiction stuff? Did you think you were pretty slick for a while? Nor are we afraid of disclosing our alcoholism on the theory that it may cause financial harm. Um, careful how you read that. My behavior while drinking and using drugs often caused other people financial harm. And if it did, I owe them the explanation that I know my behavior caused you financial harm. You did not deserve it, and I'd like to make it right. If that is not the nature of our relationship, future employer, future, and I just want to go declare to them my addiction or my alcoholism, that may cause you financial harm because other humans are not required to understand what we're talking about. They don't understand that I am recovered from that hopeless state of mind and body. I'm redeemed. I'm not that guy. That guy died. I'm a new creation. They don't understand any of that. And it's particularly good for you guys that have had other labels in society. You're not that. That's what this whole movement here is to prove, is whatever you think these people are that came out of the prisons, they're not that. They are redeemers. They are conquerors. They are, they are warriors for a higher cause. Some of you are feeling it. Okay. So approached in this way, the most ruthless creditor will sometimes surprise us. Arranging the best deal we can, we let these people know we're sorry. So what do they tell us about letting people know? Demonstration before pronouncement. Right? I can tell if you're sorry. Right? I may agree with you. You're the sorriest son of a bitch I met this week. Right? <laughs> but if I, if I have a different demeanor, the odds are they might get a different impression from me. Yes? Our drinking has made us slow to pay. We must lose our fear of creditors no matter how far we have to go for we're liable to drink if we're afraid to face them. 
when they talk about that, guys, a lot of us, especially new in recovery, we let that stuff go and we get enough grace to let it go. And pretty soon the mail's coming, we can't open it and we can't open the shades. We don't want to answer the phone. And we're imprisoned again, even though we're not imprisoned. Yes? And, and so what they're saying is when it's time, it's time. You'll know we got to go. We got to go make that right. They're not calling for your money. They're calling for their money. Yes? So perhaps we've committed a criminal offense. Perhaps. Allegedly. Which might land us in jail if it were known to the authorities. We may be short in our accounts and unable to make good. We've already admitted this in confidence to another person, but we're sure we'd be imprisoned or lose our job if it were known. Notice how they walked us through a fifth step experience and why that's so important. I've already admitted this thing I fear could cause me to lose my freedom to another person in preparation for me really going out and taking ownership of it because if I try and build a foundation for a new life on an unrighteous act, I'm not going to achieve righteousness through it. It's not a moral argument. It's all our life experience. Doesn't matter how bad the world said we were, we did learn that our word meant something. And acting righteously as we were expected to because of our word was expected. Yes? And so it's always the same. All right, so, so maybe it's only a petty offense such as padding the expense account. Many of us have done that sort of thing. Maybe we're divorced and have remarried but haven't kept up the alimony number one. She's indignant about it and has a warrant out for our arrest. That's a common form of trouble too. Any of you have any of that stuff out there? Spousal difficulties? Well, I got rid of two or three of them, but <laughs> not the indebtedness. That required a different level of action. And I'm not even sure it's fair to say I got rid of them. <laughs> I think it mischaracterizes really what happened. Although these reparations take innumerable forms, there are some general principles which we find guiding. So if you don't owe alimony, if you don't owe child support, you don't, if you've got any problems at all that are still out there, that's one of these innumerable forms. So we sometimes make the mistake of saying, that didn't happen to me, that didn't happen. If you're human, some form of this has happened because we don't get to recovery on a winning streak. Okay. Reminding ourselves that we've decided to go to any lengths to find a spiritual experience. So notice how they always come back to themselves. Before they go out to do anything hard, they go back inward and remind myself what it is I'm about to do. I am trying to get free of these limiting thoughts about who I am and how I am. And I don't want to live in these patterns I've been living in anymore. And I can't stop where I am and expect to get a different outcome. I have to keep going forward and continue to grow this spirit and subordinate this ego. Yes? So I'm going to remind myself that's what I'm embarking on. Nothing less than my freedom. Not 
whether I'm in jail or in the hospital or free in my skin. Okay, so we ask that we be given strength and direction to do the right thing, no matter what the personal consequences may be. We may lose our position or reputation or face jail, but we are willing. We have to be. We must not shrink at anything. So, yes, in this crowd, all of you know the gravity of that. The reality is we don't avoid anything we got coming. If we got it coming, we're going through it. And the fear of it coming is often worse than the experience of going through it. Yes? So, usually, however, other people are involved. So now they're going to talk to us about those mysterious others, except when to do so would injure them or others. And over the years, people would say things like, you're others. No, you're you. That's why we're very, the whole damn inventory is yours. We're not inventorying the others. I got a part or I wouldn't be tethered to it. Make sense? But there are others who got tethered to my shenanigans because I didn't bother to ask permission before I went out and did whatever it was I was doing. So usually, however, other people are involved. Therefore, we're not to be the hasty and foolish martyr who would needlessly sacrifice others to save himself from the alcoholic pit. So they're going to talk to you what that, those are fancy words, but they're going to talk to you about what that looked like in this man's life. It makes sense because you've got to follow them a little bit. The, the foolish and hasty martyr who would need, needlessly sacrifice others to save himself, but thinking he's doing the heroic thing. And you may think that sounds silly, but all of us have done it. That's why we suggest you get a mentor or a sponsor to help you talk through this stuff, because when it's you, you may not be able to see that your hero heroism is not required, your humility is. Does it make sense? Okay, so a man we know had remarried. Remarried means there must be another one. I'm guessing she's the one who wants the money. Yes? And I'm assuming the re also wants the money. Okay? Because of resentment and drinking, he had not paid alimony to his first wife. She was furious. She went to court and got an order for his arrest. He had commenced our way of life. So what did that mean? He's been shown the steps and he's endeavoring to go forward and grow in the spirit, yeah? He had secured a position, got a job, and was getting his head above water. It would have been impressive heroics if he'd walked up to the judge and said, here I am. Yeah, would be, right? But what about the one he remarried? What about the employer who's now counting on him? What about the people at his home group who probably got him making coffee or something? <laughs> we thought he ought to be willing to do that if necessary, but if he were in jail, he could provide nothing for either family. So see how his motives might have, in his mind, been pure, but in fact, he hadn't considered everyone affected by whatever action he wanted to take, yes? So we suggested he write his first wife admitting his faults and asking forgiveness. He did, and he also sent a small amount of money. He told her what he would try and do in the future. 
He said he was perfectly willing to go to jail if she insisted. Which of those do you think was the best demonstration for the ex? I, we, we always try and logically go dissect it. It's sort of the whole combination, though, isn't it? Yeah. It's a demonstration of you know, confirming there's a changed nature. Here's money. Here's a plan. Of course, if you still want me to go self-surrender, I will. I'm not doing any of this for that. Because what she said is, of course she did not, and the whole situation has long since been adjusted. But she got the dignity to see that he wasn't just coming back one more time like I did a hundred times and just trying to buy my way out and lather you up so you'd let me go. Any of you ever do that? Yeah. So, and it wasn't necessarily my intent, it was just my outcomes. So, so what we're trying to do is demonstrate something more, and oftentimes when we do, we get a better outcome. Before taking dra drastic action, which might implicate other people, we secure their consent. So who are the other people? The new, the new wife, the new employer, and whoever in this fellowship he had just joined that he had made commitments to. He needed to talk to them first to secure their consent. Does that make sense? So if we, if, he have, uh, if we have obtained permission, have consulted with others, ask God to help, and the drastic step is indicated we must not sh shrink. Notice how they talk to you about your growing awareness, your growing consciousness of this power. We've asked in prayer, where's the power found? Deep down inside. We know it expresses itself as power, peace, happiness, sense of direction. So we've asked and then we're convicted. How many of you have played that, didn't know you were going through that, but you played it in your mind, I, do I really need to do this? Yeah, you really need to do it. And it's bouncing between head and heart, convicting, I gotta do this and I, I'm afraid to do this. Any of you ever felt that? Because if you haven't, you will. That's what we're talking about, okay? All right, so then what's it say? The drastic step is indicated that I must not shrink and I'm still afraid to do it, so I'm gonna have to ask the power to take me. Does that make sense? and I will grow because I did that. Fitness, does that make sense? This brings to mind a story about one of our friends. So here's another story. While drinking, he accepted a sum of money from a bitterly hated business rival, giving him no receipt for it. So catch what they said. While drinking, he accepted money from a business rival giving him no receipt for it. I'm not going to get into all the other words they used. I just get you to consider, have you ever received money from somebody for a purpose while drinking or using? Did it go to the intended purpose or did it evaporate in a way you did not care to explain? It's not uncommon for people like me to find that money in my possession with no documentation has an evaporative rate that I do not care to explain. <laughs> That's what they're talking about. So he says he subsequently denied having received the money and used the incident as a basis for discrediting the man. He thus used his own wrongdoing as a means of destroying the reputation of another. In fact, his rival was ruined. So the rest of the story, this guy was not 
a regular AA. He stayed with the churchier Oxford group people. So to him, his church family was important to him. And so the man that gave him money gave him money for the church fund. And then when he drank it, he said, dude never gave you that money. He's lying. <laughs> so he defrauded the whole church and ruined somebody's business reputation. Does that make sense? So then we'll hear more about this fellow. He felt that he'd done a wrong he could not possibly make right. How many of you have been in that place where your life has gone so far awry that we just really, truly felt in our core, I, what's the use? I can't possibly, yes? Because I want you there because the other side of this is the redemption, yes? Okay. All right, so if he opened that old affair, he was afraid it would destroy the reputation of his partner. Now we're talking about the others. Disgrace his family and take away his means of livelihood. What right had he to involve those dependent upon him? There's a question mark there. Eyesight without insight, spiritual blindness. What right did he have? None without their permission, right? Because we now know the general principles. How could he possibly make a public statement exonerating his rival? Question mark. How? He doesn't even know all the members of the church community defrauded, does he? He doesn't know all the hardship that his friend went through after his business reputation was ruined, does he? So the only way he could possibly do that is to seek those answers in the spirit. Does that make sense? After consulting with his wife and partner, he came to the conclusion that it was better to take those risks than to stand before his creator guilty of such ruinous slander. He saw that he had to place the outcome in God's hands or he would soon start drinking again and all would be lost anyhow. He attended church for the first time in many years. Any of you ever leave the recovery rooms because of something embarrassing and maybe you bounce for a while or whatever, but then it, it was just not going to go well and you had to go back. And Any of you ever leave a church community for the same reason? Okay, so it's hard, right? It isn't that we don't want to go back. It's just that I'm not worthy or what are they going to say or, yeah? So after the sermon, he quietly got up and made an explanation. How many of you have had a church family? How many of you uh, can sense the difficulty in getting up before the congregation and admitting I was drinking, I took that money from that man, I spent it on drinking, and I told you he didn't give it to me, and he's been ruined and you've been defrauded, and I don't know what to do to make it right. I want to call your attention to the fact he said he quietly did that. <laughs> if you don't believe he was fully empowered in the spirit, because it's not possible to do quietly, is it? So that's evidence of a power greater than you operating through you, because I'm sure he was not quiet on the inside. Said his action met widespread approval, and today he's one of the most trusted citizens of his town. Now that's a testimony. The thief of the church fund is today the most trusted citizen of the town through the power of witness, through the power of God. Does it make sense? 
And all he had to do was stand there and take ownership. And the transformation was set in motion. In a book about drunks. Isn't that interesting? How they hid all that stuff in a book about drunks. This all happened years ago. The chances are that we have domestic troubles. Anybody here have domestic troubles? Where's my tweakers? You guys? You didn't even hardly have a domestic, did you? Tweakers, you guys had trouble finding the right house, didn't you? Well, that's true with the junkies and everybody. The tweakers just duck into rooms, man. I don't know anything about it personally. I've been told. All right. All right, so perhaps we're mixed up with women in a fashion we wouldn't care to have advertised. The book was written at a time when they didn't try and make it gender neutral, but most of us have had some indiscretions in our personal and sexual relationships. And yes? So, all right, so we doubt if in this respect alcoholics are fundamentally much worse than other people. But drinking does complicate sex relations in the home. Any of you discover that? So they're talking about what it looks like to have the likes of me, maybe you, come home every so often. After a few years with an alcoholic, a wife gets worn out, resentful, and uncommunicative. Did any of you find yourself living with a significant other that was worn out, resentful, and uncommunicative? That's obvious. That's with my eyes I can see that, right? So now that there's a chapter to the wives, to the family, to get me a perspective. How, how would I like to be approached if the roles were reversed? Does that make sense? So I can put myself, what is it like to have the likes of me show up? Okay. So how could she be anything else? And there's the question. Given the way I was treating the family, the home, the assets of the home, how could anyone experiencing the theft and the devastation of what I did to a home, how could they possibly see me any different? You can't. And some of you are feeling I tried to take you there so you understand it. It's real. It's tangible. The husband begins to feel lonely, sorry for himself. He commences to look around in the nightclubs or their equivalent. for something besides liquor. <laughs> Perhaps he's having a secret and exciting affair with the girl who understands. Have any of you ever met he or she? In fairness, we must say that she may understand, but what are we going to do about a thing like that? Question mark. Guys, we'll get ourselves in a spin. Look, they understand me. This one's perfect for me. Whatever, the point is, it is not their level of understanding that's in question. It is my unfaithful acts. Not a, not a sermon. I'm talking to you about me. I know how I should behave. I know what I owe people that I've committed to. And I have not been empowered always to be that. And I get worse and worse and worse, never better, until I own it. 
A man so involved often feels very remorseful at times, especially if he's married to a loyal and courageous girl who's literally gone through hell for him. Whatever the situation, we usually have to do something about it. If we're sure our wife does not know, should we tell her? Some of you really don't want to tell her. <laughs> so that, there's no right or wrong answer. This is, again, eyesight without insight. You gotta, you're going to have to start examining yourself, yes? But I would ask you this. If you say, if I'm sure my wife does not know, should I tell her? And you say no, then I want to know how sure are you. You're pretty sure she didn't know about that addiction too, right? Any of you thought you had them all fooled and when you finally admitted it, they kind of made it unanimous? So, you, so we want to examine ourselves and see what's going on because we think oftentimes we're cleverer than we are. Not always, we think. If she knows in a general way that we've been wild, should we tell her in detail? Oh, that was... Why, why not? Why not tell her in detail? How many of you have been told in detail? It's hard to get that detail out of your mind, ain't it? Yeah, so we don't want to inflict harm. Just because they're demanding it doesn't mean it's good for them. General knowledge is better than photos. <laughs> Undoubtedly, we should admit our fault. She may insist on knowing all the particulars. She'll want to know who the woman is and where she is. Anybody? We feel we ought to say to her that we have no right to involve another person. That's how we feel. How many of you have felt you ought to say one thing and then your filter came off? It says we're sorry for what we've done and God willing, it shall not be repeated. More than that, we cannot do. We have no right to go further. Though there may be justifiable exceptions. So for those of us who feel that we ought not say anything or we're not properly spiritually prepared, they're going to talk to people like me, maybe like you, justifiable exceptions. Where we blurt out particulars. And though we wish to lay down no rule of any sort, we've often found this is the best course to take. So they're telling you the best way is not to do that because when I do that, I deflect. And all of a sudden, instead of their directing their angst and anger and hurt at me, they deflect it over to somebody else and that person really didn't have any obligation to them. I did. And so I end up ruining and causing distrust in a bigger circle and it usually doesn't do any good anyway because they don't feel any better about it. So, it would have been better not to do that, but if you do it the way I did it, then you get to stand in front of a whole room full of people. Yeah. So this is the way it turns out when you've got a justifiable exception. Our design for living is not a one-way street. It's as good for the wife as for the husband. If we can forget, so can she. Don't say that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> to Sean's point, that's something we want, want to keep to ourselves. Most people don't want to be told how they should think or feel. Yes? It's better, however, that one does not needlessly name a person upon whom she can vent jealousy. Back to the point I was making. 
Perhaps there are some cases where the utmost frankness is demanded. So perhaps you're going to have to come clean for whatever reason. The only one that's going to know that is you and the power in you. Does that make sense? So you're going to want to make sure you're growing and that you're centering. No outsider can appraise such an intimate situation. Where's the main problem of an addict? Where's the solution found? Down inside. So it's never outside of you. When they say no outsider, they're not talking about any other human being. They're talking about you and your creator. Does that make sense? All right, so it may be that both will decide that the way of good sense and loving kindness is to let bygones be bygones. Each might pray about it, having the other one's happiness uppermost in mind. They're giving you some hints. If I'm more focused on how to keep you happy, to do whatever, do things that don't evoke jealousy, suspicion, bitterness, right? Arouse them. Do those types of things and let you be you and come to your own conclusions. They're saying that's a better, better path. Yes? So to keep it always in sight that we're dealing with that most terrible human emotion, jealousy, good generalship may decide that the problem be attacked on the flank rather than risk face-to-face -face combat. If we have no such complication, there is plenty we should do at home. So if you've got a home but you don't have a wife, either you never had one or that ship has sailed, then there's probably still something that we do need to do to clean up in our immediate circle, yes? Sometimes we hear an alcoholic say that the only thing he needs to do is keep sober. You ever heard that? If you've been to enough meetings, you've probably heard it. People say things like, at least I'm sober. I'm 100% successful. You're 100% asshole. Go have a drink. <laughs> if I'm not free, then I'm not helping anybody. Then there ain't no example in that. I'm not trying to be mean, I'm just, why limit people? Why do we lie to them? If not drinking was enough, how come every time I stopped, I started? It was never enough. I don't live in this world abstinent. Never have. My dependence is on a higher power. Does that make sense? But I'm every bit as dependent. I'm more dependent, because once you get the real shit, you can't stop. All right. Certainly he must keep sober, for there will be no home if he doesn't. Anybody figured that out? But he's yet a long way from making good to the wife or parents whom for years he's so shockingly treated. Passing all understanding is the patience mothers and wives have had with alcoholics. Had this not been so, many of us would have no homes today, would perhaps be dead. I mean, have you ever had those people that just stuck with you somehow, maybe at a distance, because it wasn't safe to get close, but they were still there to help pick us up? When, yes? So if we don't at least start living an amended life for their benefit, we're never going to be free of the guilt, shame, and remorse that we feel when we come out of our cups, yeah? So the alcoholic is like a tornado roaring his way through the lives of others. See the picture they're painting? Did you guys live a life that was sort of like a destructive windstorm going through the lives of people? Yes. Any of you got raised in that household, so it happened to you, and 
then you became your own storm. So they talk to us about it. Hearts are broken. Sweet relationships are dead. Affections have been uprooted. Selfish and inconsiderate habits have kept the home in turmoil. Listen to the author's opinion on this and take it to heart. We feel a man is unthinking when he says that sobriety is enough. I just witnessed for you, you'll hear that in our fellowships. We even celebrate links of sobriety, but that's not the goal of 12-step recovery, is it? What's the goal of 12-step recovery? To awaken spiritually. Sobriety is a byproduct of awakening spiritually. It takes no thought or effort on my part, it just comes. I can live comfortably in the world without anesthesia because I know where to get my power to live. Does that make sense? He's like the farmer who came out of his cyclone cellar to find his home ruined. To his wife, he remarked, don't see anything the matter here, Ma. Ain't it grand? The wind stopped blowing. So they're poking fun to that guy that's saying not drinking's enough because he's either not like me or he hasn't found out yet that not drinking ain't enough. I'm not suggesting drink or not drink. I'm saying if you're alcoholic, if you're an addict of the hopeless variety, you are going to find that living abstinent is not enough. You're going to have to find power and purpose in order to continue to live well. Yes? So yes, there's a long period of reconstruction ahead, and we must take the lead. Who? Each individually. Okay. A remorseful mumbling that we're sorry won't fill the bill at all. We ought to sit down with the family and frankly analyze the past as we now see it, being very careful not to criticize them. Their defects may be glaring, but the chances are that our own actions are partly responsible. So we clean house with the family, asking each morning in meditation that our Creator show us the way of patience, tolerance, kindness, and love. We don't emphasize that prayer enough in recovery. If I will take time every morning to ask that power within me, my creator, show me the way of patience, tolerance, kindness, and love. Reset every time I get in disturbance. I will have a better day, and you'll have a better experience of me. <laughs> and if I don't, then things are liable not to go as well. And I challenge any of you to take that sentence and practice it as you go along. Instead of letting your thoughts run wild, my creator, show me the way. Yes? Because I guarantee you will grow in consciousness of a power to allow you to find that love, tolerance, kindness along the way. And when you see it, that's because you're being it. We see what we are. Does that make sense? Okay. The spiritual life is not a theory. Why did I go to all that trouble? Sometimes people talk about an act. Fake it till you make it. I know what they were trying to say, but if you're faking spirituality, you ain't faking no one but you. Because it's a source of life for me. It's not an act for you. It's power to live for me. It's purpose for me. It allows me to see miracles every day. I went to the clemency board this week. Another fellow got out, but a guy that we graduated from here was there, and all he did was sing the praises of Jim. Jim doesn't even know this, but I was never more gratified at how 
Jim, who pours himself into these men, and people who have never met Jim know that he is absolutely God sent. Fact. The spiritual life is not a theory, we have to live it. Unless one's family expresses a desire to live upon spiritual principles, we think we ought not urge them. We should not talk incessantly to them about spiritual matters. They will change in time. Guys, claim that promise, please, because our family still has that old us in their mind for a while, and, and you just, you, you got a whole world full of brothers and sisters to lift up, and everyone else will see it eventually. They will change in time, but it isn't their change that's necessary for my survival. It's my change. Does that make sense? Okay. So, says our behavior will convince them more than our words. We must remember that 10 or 20 years of drunkenness make a skeptic out of anyone. There may be some wrongs we can never fully right. We don't worry about them if we can honestly say to ourselves that we would write them if we could. Some people cannot be seen. We send them an honest letter. And there may be a valid reason for postponement in some cases, but we don't delay if it can be avoided. We should be sensible, tactful, considerate, and humble without being servile or scraping. As God's people, we stand on our feet. We don't crawl before anyone. By the time we're at this stage, we're, when we're in power and purpose, you know who you are and you know whose you are. You don't bow before anyone. If you were a bad actor in the past, you own it. It was an act. It wasn't who you are. Does that make sense? I'm going to stop right there. Thank you very much. We'll look at step 10 and 11.